When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Lucky Let Court Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express and a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Chris Otto, happy to be with you on the eve of the Australian Open. Main draw play kicks off tomorrow in less than 24 hours. We will be knee-deep in first-round action from Melbourne. We've got a lot to talk about. The draws will were released on Thursday. Richard Pagliaro, Tennis Now editor, and Eric Gudris, Tennis Now contributor, here to talk about the draws, which are quite difficult, I must say, for Rafael Nadal and Igor Fiontek. We're also going to talk about, of course, the return of Novak Djokovic to Melbourne, where he will bid for his 10th title down under, and... We're going to be talking about the Netflix special called Breakpoint, which was released yesterday. Watched all five episodes, and so is Eric Gudris. So we've got a lot to talk about there with the highlights, the the lowlights, and some of the interesting snippets from that really entertaining video that we saw. So why don't we get right to the conversation now, and I'll see you guys on the other side. All right. We are live, and uh, Eric and Richard, I'm very pleased to be chatting with you on the Skype once again. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Doing very well. Cool. I'm excited to speak to you guys, and we've got a lot of um, the draw to dissect, so I'm, I'm pumped up to talk. The draw, for sure, which, which came out Thursday in Melbourne, and it's got a lot of interesting tidbits that we will certainly be discussing, but also the Netflix special, five episodes of the new Netflix series Breakpoint are out. Eric, you are so excited about this. You're kind of a film connoisseur, film buff. You've never made any secret about that. So I guess Breakpoint is right up your alley. I think you Mm -hmm. devoured the the first five episodes rather quickly, and I'm sure you've got some takes. So why don't you lead us off? Tell me some of your initial thoughts. I definitely do. So (laughs) ultimately, I feel like the producers of this series did a very good job of balancing Uh, the content to appeal to dedicated tennis fans and those that have never watched the sport before. Uh, Of course, in the first episode, there's an expected amount of uh, background about how the tennis world works, how the tours work, how the scoring works, how the majors work and the draws. And that's get the uh, uninitiated into that world. Uh, what I found most fascinating was the amount of access that the show had to the behind the scenes that most tennis fans never get on the, the practice courts, in the press room, in the players' hotels room, uh, to yeah. traveling to and from tournaments uh, uh, with their families and their friends, their managers, their agents, and so forth. So for me, that was actually the most uh, illuminating part of the entire series. Um, I feel like that what probably uh, was the most interesting was the highlight that the professional tennis tour 
for many players can be, as all of us know, can be very isolating, can be a very lonely existence because the players are traveling from tournament to tournament with their core group of people. And at some points watching the entire series, if I was just a casual viewer, I'd be like, wow, why would anybody want to be a pro tennis player? Because this is a, this is a tough life. Yeah. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see how the series carries through to the next portion of the, the next season. I think it's coming up later this year with the players that they highlighted. Of course, the, the first a couple episodes focused on Australia the clay court season and how those players um, achieved in the next part of the season. Um, I think that's going to be very interesting to see. I also think that there, of course, there was a lot of chatter before this series even started about, oh, this is going to ignite a lot of interest in tennis because Netflix did the Formula One car racing series uh, previously. But just to be fair, Formula One is a very different world to professional tennis. And I think to try to think, well, and that specific series has been on Netflix for a couple of seasons. Yeah, four now. seasons now, it looks like. So I think it's I think it's a more wait and see if this tennis series actually, once it gets going, can generate more interest, especially because it's focusing on current players outside of the uh, the legacy players that are no longer with us, like Serena, like Roger Federer. Yeah, it's pretty wild, right? So um, I actually watched four episodes quickly, one last night and three today, and I'm halfway through the fifth, which is at Roland Garros already. So it kind of moves along with the thread of the season, which is cool. Um, I wanted to ask Richard, because you, I know you didn't watch them yet, Richard, but I wanted to get your perspective as someone who, who like now I can no longer speak with this perspective of what you, what are you looking for? What do you think there is to gain for tennis? And what do you hope to get out of this Netflix documentary series when you do watch it? I guess what always draws me in is the emo- is the emotion that they that they endure throughout not only just the season but just the course of a tournament week because with the win it's just incredible when you're playing in front of fifteen twenty thousand people the adrenaline it really is like a narcotic it's like a really really huge high and I always wonder after some of those epic night matches like how do you go back to the hotel and just go to sleep your body is like wired with electricity so that always intrigued me the behind the scene part like how do you come down from a big loss and all uh, from a big win i'm sorry and alternatively you know how do you recover from a devastating loss and i think also just to push past the caricatures that we sometimes see you know, everywhere, not just media, but fans, chat rooms where like, oh, Kyrgios is this crazy guy that parties, or, you know, this player is the hothead that throws the racket. And just to see behind uh, the practices and the tournaments, like what they're going through that maybe puts them into that mental state. I think Eric had a good point. The loneliness and the isolation, like you go from being like people 
20,000 people grabbing at you to being completely alone, like in a room by yourself. Like, how do you, I can't even imagine what yeah. the extreme that they go through. So that kind of thing intrigues me, but also just, um, you know, the day-to-day grind just to get through, you know, it's just hard enough just to be, get through your job and then think about doing that job like four or five different continents, different time zones, traveling where you don't have family or friends with you and you have to sort of figure it all out on the fly. It's yeah. It's fascinating. I'm really excited to see it. I have not. All I've seen is the trailer, so I'm well, really pumped. It sounds it. like it's right up your alley because you're, I think you're going to get exactly what you're looking for. In fact, your first line of your answer was exactly what Paula Bedosa said about how winning is a drug, the adrenaline of it. And, and, and the episodes that feature her certainly take you through the highs and lows of what it's like to try and perform at that level and what the pressures are that she faces. I thought the humanity of it was... I was a skeptic at first. I'm thinking like, you know, tennis is kind of our jobs. It's 12 hours a day. It's sometimes longer than that. I feel like I know everything, been there, done that. What is this going to be for me? It's not going to have anything. But it turned out I was moved and I was I was excited to be led into some of the intimacies that Netflix took us in on. Like uh, I visited the Berrettini family home. I visited Ohms in Tunisia. And, and there were a lot of little, like, uh, very behind-the-scenes kind of unique spots that I was surprised that they were able to offer to us. So in that sense, I was pleased, and it sounds like you were too, Eric. Uh, absolutely, and I thought that was the most, uh, again, illuminating part of that series, that they were allowed to enter those players' homes, speak to their families, and learn more about uh, their backgrounds, or how they got interested in tennis. And that's something that uh, even diehard tennis fans are not that access. They're not actually, they're not granted. So for those, those tennis fans, that's, that's absolutely amazing. And for uh, people who have never experienced tennis or have no idea who these players are, that's the entryway to uh, learning more about them and having an appreciation for them. Sort of like when the Olympics come around every four years and they do the player profiles, the athlete profiles, and they go to their home countries and they talk to their families and everything. It's, it's very similar. So I think that's a very beneficial thing to, uh, for, for fans of tennis and those that are just watching uh, the series and learning about the sport for the first time. Yeah, and what would you say about the fact, the symbology maybe of the fact that the very first episode is called The Maverick and it's all about Nick Kyrgios? Well, I, I, I think that was, again, I think that's interesting because, and just thinking about the producers and, and thinking about the, the, the job they had to create this show, is they're presented with this, I will just say it, this character, character protagonist, Nick Curios, that we all know has been part of tennis for so long, has been such an interesting and engaging person in the sport, but has not yet lived up to his full potential. So for last year's Australian Open, there was all this speculation about, is this his last Australian Open? What's going to happen with him? And I'll be interesting. I'll be interested to see uh, in the next uh, section of this season when they move forward to Wimbledon, because when you watch the Australian Open, you think, well, this is it for Nick Curios. This is it. He he, of course, won the doubles with Kakanakis. But then the next half of the year, actually, he actually did a lot. So it's I'd be curious to see how that that forward momentum. Yeah. carries over 
Yeah. Um, I think they I think they were the only critique I would say is they were very focused on just being very specific about, um, you know, the calendar and like we, they start in Australia and then they moved to Indian Wells and then then they moved to in Madrid and they moved to Roland Garros. There was not a lot of uh, moving back and forth between the whole year. Yeah. And I guess that was a decision they made to be very chronological about how they presented things. Yeah. But as we know, the start of the season doesn't necessarily mean that how you start the season is how you're going to end the season. Yeah. So that's that's just one critique of mine. Yeah. I, I this is not a critique, but I found myself not interested in the match footage at all. And I don't know if it's a critique on the way they presented the matches um or it was just the fact that I was really getting high off the personal, intimate portraiture stuff. That And so, like, when I get to the matches, I'm like, well, I saw this match. I'm fine with it. It's not really presented in any different way than you would if you watched it on television. I mean, they threw in some wrinkles, too, where I felt like um, Catherine, Catherine Whitaker and maybe other people were doing voiceovers for the matches. In other words, they weren't actual commentary snippets. Rather, they were simplifying it to kind of move the story forward when they couldn't find the right clip from a commentator, they would just use someone to do a voiceover about like Paula Bedosi's journey to Madrid mm-hmm. has taken her. So I felt like I'm like, uh, okay, skip forward almost like, you know, I don't know. What did you think of the match footage? I mean, some of it was neat, interestingly shot and angles and stuff of the teams were, mm-hmm. were, were unique, but to me, I think either they could have done a better job with it or I'm just too deep into tennis that it didn't matter to me. I agree that while the match footage was, compelling the way it was shot and presented that it was not overall the most compelling part of each episode yeah and again going back to the formula one uh series that are again completely different sports that's formula one that's what drew people in just i and i watched some of those episodes because it's that you're in the you're in the driver's seat literally as they go down and they're on the racetrack and everything yeah it, they're very different and tennis is very exciting and those the, the highlights they showed were very exciting but i think that the the draw is going to be about why the players got into tennis what drives them yes yes the the shot making that is there that's going to be exciting but I think the ultimate draw and interest is going to be about what drives them day in, day out, month in, month out, year in, year out. Yeah. And I think the, as I said, going into like the access that we don't have, like into their hotel rooms, on the private jets, uh, what have you, that's that's going to be the draw. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, Richard, sorry, you're probably sitting over there just listening and maybe bored, but since you didn't watch it, it's hard to loop you into some of this stuff. But I will tell you, Taylor Fritz, his victory in, at Indian Wells, and you guys, we, we know about how special of a title that was and how he really came from the brink of retiring before that match with an injury to deciding to play, to then beating Rafa. But I don't know, there's something about the episode it gives you the full um, impact. And I'm sitting there re- recognizing the fact that Taylor Fritz might be the only player in the world that could have won that match, that would have even dared to play that match, the way that Anna Cohn and Michael Russell and his team are advising him not to play. 
and the fact that he's just going, yeah, but I got to get out there. <laughs> he's, he's so adamant. I mean, this guy is just built different. I, I don't know your thoughts on that, Eric. Just like uh, it gave me a new, I have a huge appreciation for Taylor Fritz already, but it gave me a new level of appreciation just watching that, watching him resist the temptation to retire, which was the advice everybody was giving him. I will say that the the episode uh, focusing on Taylor Fritz, I actually that was my favorite episode because uh, just having followed Taylor Fritz and everything. But I think of all the I will say all, all the players profiled, I think I learned more about Taylor Fritz in that episode than all the matches and all the interviews that I, I've, I've experienced. And I, I think they did a good job of um uh, focusing on him, of course, as the producers of those shows, you have no idea that Taylor Fritz was going to win uh, Indian Wells, but they carried it through, and um, they did a very good job of, uh, of focusing on him and drawing out his his personal experience there. Yeah. And um, I again, I think uh, for me, I was it was the most uh, of all the players that was the most illuminating. Um, uh, the, uh, I guess player profile that they they focused on. Yeah, it made me hungry for for Owens's mom's cooking. Also, episode four. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm like, what is she making? That looks so good. Uh, rice and uh, uh, chickpeas, some kind of awesome Tunisian style feast. But yeah, I mean, I enjoyed a lot of it, and I, I think the darkness of the sport. It's hard. They're, like we always talk over the years about Nadal and the suffering and what tennis players go through. And you see it with every single player. I mean, these players are on the edge in terms of mental health, in terms of just keeping their sanity. And there's so many demons. And I think there's a, like this show to me was about the darkness and the light of that tennis players endure. And I think Richard was talking about it in the beginning that he wanted to see some of that. You're going to see tons of it, Richard. I think you're going to have a good time. Um, but we should probably move it forward. Oh, last thing, actually. The choice, first of all, tip of the hat to Courtney Nguyen, who did a great job, like being a, be playing a starring role as it like kind of a narrator in this, in the series, and really kind mm -hmm. of kind of like helping bridge the gap between the uninitiated and the initiated. And also, Andy Roddick did a great job. Sharapova t plays a big role in this, which was surprised yes. me. And I think there were some good moments, and it took her a little while to warm up, but then she said some pivotal and key things, which were interesting and gave some good insight. So it was it was good to see her. It was an interesting choice. I was definitely surprised because I actually did not know. Uh, your, and your final thoughts on that and the use of those characters, Eric. I absolutely thought that uh, utilizing Maria Sharapova, Andrew Roddick, Chris Everett, actually yeah. Chris Everett gives one of the best uh, lines in, in, the, in the show. I'm not going to give it away, but uh, for me, it was like, that's Chris Everett. Yeah. Um, I thought they, I thought they, the uh, analysts and experts that they picked to deliver that commentary was uh, spot on. So I, I, I appreciated all their uh, uh, viewpoints yeah in the end it's uh it's bingeable i think for i mean probably it's tennis fans that are listening to our podcast today and if you're if you're on the fence about whether you should watch it or not i mean it's a pretty much a no-brainer you're going to enjoy it you, you you might know a few of the things that you're seeing already if you're a diehard i mean there's some crazy diehard fans out there that know a lot about these players but i still think you're going to enjoy it and i think it's great that it's come to netflix and that there's five more episodes i'm looking forward to see how the season finishes i mean with carlos winning the u.s open there are a lot of crazy stuff that happened right 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Novak will get into the mix a little bit too, which will be interesting. Absolutely. And one thing I will add, uh, one does not need to watch uh, all the episodes in sequence. So you can read the episode descriptions. Obviously, tennis fans have their favorites. Yeah. All I will say is that if you feel like you don't want to watch a specific episode, you don't have to. You can kind of pick and choose. And I think that's – I think that's an interesting choice as well. I think um, because there's not a through line between episode one and episode five. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's an interesting choice that the producers made to uh, highlight specific players uh, throughout the specific episodes. But again, one does not have to start at episode one to get through to get through the the end of this season. Mm-hmm. True and uh, good stuff. And another another favorite thing of mine was uh, Matteo Berrettini kicking out Ila Tomjanovic from the from the room that morning, where she's like, she's <laughs> like, she's like, babe, I got to do a uh, an interview with Tennis Channel at eight in the morning. That was after he'd beaten Carlos Alcaraz in the third round, and he clearly needed some sleep. And he's like, he's like, no, no, you're not. He's like, go do it somewhere else. And then they go, they cut to court, and he said, you know, tennis players are rather selfish, and they need to be. It was it was just a cool moment. And she understood completely. It was, it was one 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 quick thing. Now, one other thing I, w- I wish they would have done in the first episode was just give a little bit more history about tennis and. Uh, the champions i and understand that this specific series is focusing on the current generation but i think to give uh new viewers just a little bit more about like why these majors are so important who has come before them i think they could have just done a little bit in the first episode, just to like lay the groundwork. Yeah, I know. If they're going to tell That's you how all. to keep score, they might as well tell you a little bit about the slams and right. why why they matter so much, how there are these touch right. points of the season. Good point there. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely, we could do a whole other episode and make our recommendations to the producers of the show for next time. But uh, but let's let's talk a little bit about the tennis that's in front of us. Sans Netflix coming up. The Australian Open is about 24 hours, less than 24 hours away from starting. We've got draws, and I think we've got a lot to talk about. Richard's probably chomping at the bit, ready to to highlight some of the key key things he's noticed in the men's and women's singles draw. Richard, throw a dartboard and start wherever you want. Get us started here in the conversation. I guess I just start at the top because Rafa's a top seed and the uh, you know defending champion, and he and he's going to hit it right out of the gate uh, first round against Draper and a lefty, you know, a tough lefty, a talented lefty, and his his uh, only opening round loss in the history of the Australian Open was to a lefty, Fernando Verdasco. Obviously, yeah, obviously a different player than Drave, different style, but still, it'll be a challenge right out of the box, and I just think his whole section is really worth noting because you've got the potential for a rematch with TFO, and remember that how exciting that was, and then obviously a possible... Uh, rematch with Medvedev of the Australian Open final in the quarterfinals, which is pretty incredible when you think about 
where some of the Grand Slam champions dropped in this draw. So I think that's an intriguing one right out of the top, and it's going to be tough, in my in my view, for him uh, to get back to the final. Yeah, to tell, elaborate a little bit, Richard. I mean, Rafa's 0-2 on the season, two three-set losses at United Cup, one to Dimonor, one to Nori. He's lost six out of his last seven. We don't know if his serve is at 100% based on the, the ab injury he had last year. There's a lot of stuff that's you know, not pointing in the direction of a successful title defense, and yet it's Rafa, right? Exactly, and even last year where people questioned, could he, you know, he had not he had not won the Australian Open in so long, could he do it? And then even when he was down in the final to come back from that two-set deficit, it's Rafa. Anything, anything is possible with Rafa, and he, surely he's going to be determined to try to defend, but he's never defended a hard-court slam. And it, let's be honest, it's a brutal draw. It's a really tough draw. It's a tougher draw than Novak has, and oh, yeah. he's got the pressure of also Novak coming back and coming for the record. Uh, you know, to tie the Grand Slam record, but also push past him in the career title chase. So there's a lot on the line. There's a lot of pressure. And as you said, you know, we don't know physically how he is, although he says he's he's feeling better on the practice court. It, you know, it's going to be interesting. I'd say the one interesting thing, I looked ahead a little bit at the weather, and it looks like with the exception of Tuesday, it's going to be uncommonly cool, at least the forecast yeah. I saw. That that could help him, yeah. Um, Eric, what are, you, what are you thinking Rafa-wise? What are, the, what are the tea leaves that you're reading say? Well, I agree with Richard that, I mean, again, one would never discount Rafael Nadal, but it's it's going to be interesting, especially since his comments, I guess, uh, well, again, what, today, yesterday, yes, I, I can't yes. keep track with Australia about the actual tennis balls are playing with doesn't like those that he doesn't like them (laughs) but then again Nadal rarely likes the tennis balls that he's ever playing with so that's here or there but anyhow um you know I'm actually you know let's let's look ahead I'm actually looking ahead to the second round let's say he gets past Draper and then he has this potential matchup either between uh two Americans Nakashima and McDonald now I'm not saying that Nadal would not defeat either of them, but that's an intriguing – that first round's intriguing to me alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then both of them have potential, right? So it's – it's yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a tricky, tricky draw. And then, of course, you've got TFO sitting there uh, potentially in the fourth round. So – Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's, it's, it's interesting to me. And then we start looking, looking later and, uh, you know, potentially Medvedev in the quarters, potentially, uh, uh, Korda, maybe Shapovalov is in his draw. Never know. Uh, this is, uh, this is, this is tricky. <laughs> yeah, no, he could be, even if he does somehow make it through the quarter to the semis, it could be a, a case of him playing a lot of sets and having to work really hard. And if that happened, and if he fell short at some point, I think Rafa fans and tennis fans in general probably wouldn't need to be too disheartened about it. You could just look at it as a, a step in the right direction, just winning some matches, gaining some confidence, and then, you know, what comes next? Healthy at Indian Wells, Miami, and then sets up for the clay for making more history. So, I mean, even if he doesn't win this tournament, which – for the first time in my life, I'm probably like pretty convinced that he's not going to win a tournament. Like that, it's hard for me to picture it. But but then again, that's usually when he likes to prove you wrong and, and makes you eat your words, right? So, but yeah, good point. And that Nakashima McDonald match could be great. And I, if I'm not mistaken, Richard will know this for sure, and you probably do too, Eric. Uh, didn't Mackie and Rafa didn't they 
played five sets once in, in Australia? I'm Something. not 100% sure, but I can I can look it up, but yeah. um, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, no, no worries. We'll, we'll circle we'll circle back to that. Um, but I'm pretty sure they had a, like some kind of moment at the Aussie Open. But anyway, stay with the men's draw. How did Novak do, Richard? Yeah, I think he should be happy with the section he's in. I would. It, it's interesting that he played the EXO with Kyrgios on the Friday night before you know first ball, and they're in the set where they could, you know, that that would be a great matchup if that came off if if Novak played Nick in a Wimbledon final rematch, but Rublev is also there, and Rublev's a dangerous character. The thing is, Rublev is a, you know, he wins with pace, and Novak deals with pace really, really, uh, really efficiently, really well. I think, you know, we touched on it the last time we spoke, is the hamstring okay, but he looked like he was moving pretty well in that XO. I think the intriguing guy in the in Novak section is Holger Rune, because he beat him in Paris. He's very confident. Uh, he's a dangerous player. We've seen him do it at other slams, and we saw at the U.S. Open the first time they played what kind of match it was. And also just sort of from a, car- a karmic sort of situation, whenever he comes up against Pablo Carreno Busta, it's always a freaky, it's, like, it's a weird, like, just weird thing. It's like a full moon on court. Like something strange happens, and they could play again. And of course, that was the opponent. You know, when he got booted from the uh, from the U.S. Open. But I think overall, he's got to be really happy. And uh, to me, it's an easier path than Rafa for sure. Yeah. But it's still how how will the leg hold up? How will he adapt to the pressure? I think the good news for him was playing that EXO where he got a really rousing response, but also Adelaide, where a lot of the Serbian fans came out. And they're really appreciative. And he said and did all the right things in terms of paving the way for the public for his comeback. I'm sure there'll be some people upset, but I think by and large, he, he sort of smoothed that out. So, yeah. yeah, it looks good, but also all the pressure is on him because, uh, you know, history's on the line. But I think he'd much rather be where he is than where Rafa is, put it that way. Yeah, uh, two things. It was Smichek I was thinking about. 2015 took Rafa to right. five sets. Right, where he conceded the serve, <laughs> yes. where he said, sir, where he said, he gave him the first serve over. Yeah, that right. was a big moment. I don't know why I got that. I mean, it's, it's totally not Mackey. And Mackey won four games against Rafa when they met in their only meeting at um, Roland Garros, which uh, that's par for the course there, I guess. So anyway, um, Eric, Novak's the heavy favorite in your eyes. What, what do you think? What are you thinking about Novak and his return to the Australian Open where he is the dominant premier player, nine-time champion going for number 10? I absolutely think that Novak is the favorite again because, as I said on a previous podcast, because of the 2022 season, he played sparingly because of his vaccination status. And I think because of that, he is refreshed. He is primed, as we've seen in the uh, lead-up events in Australia. The fans are there for him. There is, from what I can gauge, no animosity. Yep. So that's in his corner as well. As as we know, Novak loves having the fans behind him, although he is the best at playing when the fans are not with him. But the fans are going to be with him, and that's going to be a, a, a plus one. So uh, good luck. Yep. Um, I think the player we actually – spend a little bit of time about, talking about is number 19 seed Nick Kyrgios 
because once again, he is the wild card at this event. And again, as in the Netflix series that we talked about, we, we don't, we don't know what's going to happen, but if anybody is going to disrupt Novak Djokovic, it could well be Nick Kyrgios. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and, you know, Richard talk about Holger Runa. That's a potential third rounder for Nick Kyrgios. That will be a first week matchup to die for. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that will be on. And Kyrgios was asked about that in media. He made some interesting comments. He really respects uh, Holger Runa. And I, but I don't know. Kyrgios, it's just, he, he is so, he's like lightning. You just don't know when he's going to strike. You don't know. And also, you know, the doubles factor that they're defending in doubles, so he's playing more, and he didn't really play any tuna, any lead-up to this because of the injury he pulled out of United Cup, so you don't really know what you're going to get, but he looked good in that exhibition, and he's going to, the crowd will be insane for Kyrgios if he gets on a roll, and if that match comes off, I mean, that would be absolute must-see TV global. I mean, that would be an insane match. I would love to see that come off. And that's the kind of match that Nick Kyrgios lives for. So, yeah. I mean, you would hope it would come to that, but, you know, Kyrgios has got a lot of work to get to that point. I mean, you, and we don't know what kind of condition he's, you know, what is he capable of best of five against some of these really talented players just to get to Novak. So, yeah, I agree. Novak's definitely the heavy favorite, but... You know, Kyrgios is the match I'd love to see come off. But, you know, there's some other guys in there. I think in the top half, like a guy like Sitsipas is really hungry. I think Felix ended the year on a tear. He's one of the few guys who's beaten yeah. Novak. He was best of three. I know he's in the top half. It's a different section. But I think that's also an interesting section to see one of, if some of those young guys can break through. And then on the bottom, you have Casper Ruud, who was, you know, had a shot to be world number one. Yeah. And finish the year strong, he could make a push again to another semi. I just think it's a bad matchup for him against Novak. I just think Novak has it. It's just a tough match. I don't think he can really hurt Novak over five sets. If Novak is Novak, as we as we know him, but Rude is dangerous, and Fritz, as you guys alluded to during the Netflix uh, segment, he's also really tough in that bottom quarter. I, I just want to speak a little bit about Rude because if he gets through his first round, he could potentially face Jensen Brooksby yep. in the second round, which, as Brooksby has proven, is a, a tough player to deal with. And then he might potentially face another American, Tommy Paul, in the third round, who's been on the upswing in the last few months. So I'm just wondering if there is a potential for either Paul or Brooksby to potentially knock out Rude uh, before the fourth round. I, I don't, I think there's potential there for sure. I think both, I think you're right, Eric, to pin, to highlight the Americans and say that they're dangerous. I think they are all over the draw and there's a, there's a, just a big push going on right now with the American men, the women, they're always, they're always on point, right? But there's a lot of confidence growing from what Fritz did last year, from what, the, from what Francis did. And I think they're all starting to believe in themselves more in these events at this level. And so I, in that sense, I don't see why not. It'll be up to Casper to play his very best tennis to, to, to get through these guys for sure. And I just want to also just go back to Daniel Medvedev because he is the seventh seed, which, again, for him is a, a lower seed. 
But maybe this is the opportunity for him to just sort of, you know, be the, you know, be the dark horse a little bit and kind of coast through because everybody's focusing on Nadal. Everybody's focusing on Djokovic. People are focusing on Tsitsipas. People are focusing on Kyrgios. And, you know, let's not count out Medvedev here. He actually could, he could potentially be the disruptor, like, as he likes to be, and take the whole thing. Richard, thoughts yeah, on Daniel? Interesting. It, it's interesting you say that, because if you told me right now, pick the finalists, I would say Djokovic versus Medvedev and go from there. But, you know, it's a lot. But I agree with you totally. And he's got a lot to prove, and he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder just because of how everything that went down last year. And also, you know, just the uncertainty over this year as well. So you just want to – and also that he's just not as good as those other contenders we talked about on clay. So, you know, you want to rack up the points now while you can because hard courts is best service. So I think the urgency is there for him. And, look, he knows in his mind, in his heart, he should have lifted the title last year. It was there. It was there for him. Everything was there for him. And even after he blew the lead, it was still there at the end. He could have won it. So I think that will light a fire under him rather than debilitate him. What can we say about Medvedev's form in general? The start to the season was promising. He won a few close matches, but then wasn't able to really push Djokovic, lost in straight sets. And we know if we go back a little further, he really wasn't playing his best at the end of last season. So, like, is does something need to change for Daniil, or does he just need to kind of find whatever it is, maybe that little percentage of his game that's been missing? What's what's going on with him? Like, is he is he ready to do what we think he might do, which is reach the final and potentially win this title? I think he's always ready to reach the final. I think actually it's probably better for him to not be in the conversation about okay, uh, that, the that front is your runners. point then. Okay. Yeah, because I think he's fine with just like I'm going to play my match, I'm going to win my match. If the crowd loves me, so be it. If they don't love me, so be it. I'm just going to play, play and win and win. And that's what got him to the level he is now. And I think actually where he is right now, that's going to play in his favor. Okay, good point. You know, I just I'm just a little <laughs> unsure about him overall because what all he lost every match at the ATP Finals last year. I mean, granted the competition's tough. Djokovic, Rublev, Tsitsipas um, lost first round in Paris. So I'm kind of like thinking, where is the Daniel that we know and love? Yeah, he won the Vienna title. He's he's he, he was strong for, throughout yeah. the season, but he wasn't that magical Medvedev ever since yeah. Australia last year. Absolutely. What I would say that there's more pressure on. Tsitsipas to do something in Australia than Medvedev. Let's yeah. put it that way. Good point. Very good point. <laughs> that, that'll be something to watch because the pressure, as we know, can make or break a player in these events. How about we switch to the women? There's a lot going on there. And I think if we talk about Rafa having a difficult draw, draw and we agree with that, we can also say that Iga Sviatek is – I mean, she can certainly handle that she's the world number one by a long shot and already a three-time Grand Slam champion at the age of 21. She'll be the favorite in – Australian Open, no matter what the draw sheet says, but it is a tricky draw. Richard, t take us through what Iga's facing here in Melbourne. It's interesting that, you know, Rafa's her favorite player, and it's a Rafa-like challenge for her, <laughs> because if you look at, right out of the box, Niemeyer, even though, you know, you're thinking, okay, she should just roll her. Look, she took her to three sets at the U.S. Open, so she's going to go in with confidence. I mean, obviously, she's world number one. She should win that match, but then you jump right to the third round, where you have potentially either former U.S. Open 
Wimbledon champion, you know, Bianca Andreescu or or Marie Buscova, who got to the Wimbledon, who beat Garcia at Wimbledon last year, and, you know, is a, is a talented player and also a good doubles player. And then if you get through that, you've got either Collins, the Australian Open finalist from a year yes. ago, or you've got Rabakina, who's the Wimbledon champion, and nobody ever talks about her, but she's got one of the best serves in the sport. And, uh, I mean, that's just a really tough just to get to the quarterfinals. So... With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, I mean, obviously she's a favorite, and after everything she did, you've got to, you still got to like her. Also, her athleticism on that surface, I think, will really serve her well. Uh, I just think that round of six, if she got by the third round, I think that round of 16, I mean, Collins beat her down, I mean, on that same, so I, yep. I think that's a problematic hurdle for her. If she were able to get through the round of 16, sure, I could see her going all the way, but I think that's a really tough match. Not only style-wise, but emotionally, you've got two players who can disarm you, and you're the best player in the world. That's a scary match. Eric, take it away. I will say that, uh, unfortunately, but fortunately for her, she benefited from Paula Badosa withdrawing because that was she was originally in her section on the draw. So that's a that's a plus for her. So maybe I agree with Richard. I think she's got a tough section to draw, but that helps. So um, I, you know what? I, I, I'm going to go with Iga. I'm going to go with Iga to go all the way to the finals at least because I just think she has proven over the last year how to navigate uh, through all these situations, especially on hard courts. Yeah. And I, I, I just, um, she's the player to beat. She, that's why, because she's number one. She's the player to beat. And I think that um, I'll be interested to see how Rubakina, uh, if that if that happens or if it does. But uh, I, I still think she's a player to beat. I'm very interested to see how Jessica Pagula uh, plays at this Australian Open because I actually I think she may be the winner. Hmm. I think I think she is she's kind of been in this form for the last six months and I think maybe this is her time, especially on hard courts. Um, I don't know. That's 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 my pick. She's, but um, she's been all business so far this year. That's right. That's she's my pick to win it. But. Uh, We'll see. I, 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 but uh, again, I think uh, Iga is uh, the player to beat. But I'm going with Jessica to win it. Interesting stuff. And and now let's let's keep in mind that Coco Goff is Iga's potential quarterfinal opponent. Pagula is also in this section. She'd meet up with Iga in the semis. Finally, over the hump against Iga at United Cup with a really eye-opening six-two-six-two victory. What is that going to do for Pagula's confidence? Do you think, Richard? 
I think her confidence is going to be sky high and also, you know, just coming off the year she, career year she had last year, qualifying for the WTA finals in singles and doubles and also putting the complete game out there where she's sort of applied the doubles, the transition, the ability to finish at net, you know, push the point, put the pressure on the opponent on the break point. She's shown a more complete uh, all-around game, and I thought the big key when she really smoked Iga at United Cup, granted, it, you know, it's United Cup, it's not the Australian Open, was that she took the backhand down the line early, and she hit it really, really accurately, and I think you've got to be able to, you got to be able to go down the line against Iga, especially on that wing, and she did that really well, so I agree with you both, she's going to be really dangerous, I just think in that section, if I had to pick someone, I mean, I would just pick someone who's maybe got a little bit bigger weapons. Uh, but I, I do think if Iga gets through the fourth round, I think she, Iga just, she's just uh, owned Coco. I mean, she's just dominated that matchup. I loved what I saw from Coco in Auckland, and I was going to pick her as my sort of dark horse to get to the final. But if she gets Iga, I cannot pick her in that match. I mean, Iga has blown her out in a lot of those matches. Coco's going to have to play exactly like she did in Auckland, really push the point, really use the volley, and be super uber aggressive if, if that match came off yeah. but uh that's totally in Iga's face Coco's got to show her something differently I mean it's totally in Iga's favor if that match came off Pagula would be the one to stop her if if anyone is going to stop her before the final yeah. but like I said watch that fourth round if that comes off no, we certainly will watch that um by the way hot players on the women's side heading in Sabalenka comes in with the title Belinda Bencic locked up a title last night <laughs> Coco Goff, as you mentioned, she won a title in Auckland, so a lot of players in good form. Kvitova has been good so far. Verona Kudermatova has been playing well. Garcia has been good. Pakula has been good. I mean, yes, I think it's kind of like you guys are setting the table here for it's kind of eager against the field, and I agree with that, and I always back eager right now to win, to win the title. But um, there's a lot of good players. Uh, last thing so, – oh, go for it, Eric. I just want a uh, quick quick question about Anjabur. Yes. So uh, – um, she again, s- such a popular player. She's going to have the I, whatever player she's playing against. She's going to have the crowd with her. Is is a, the Australian Open the time that she finally breaks through, or, um, or or what? I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting because I feel like if anybody's going to break through, it could be her. But I don't know. <laughs> I think she she set the table for it right by you know by persevering last year and reaching the two slam finals. Yes, losing both, but I think a lot of growth happened across the course of those two big finals. And I think she's ready to do it. I think it's time for her. You know, it really is. It makes sense for her to take the next step as soon as possible. And so so here's an opportunity. She's in the draw without without on you know on the opposite half of Iga. A lot of good players as we mentioned. I don't know, Richard. You care to weigh in on it? I, I'm really rooting for her to win a final and she's uh, to win a major, and she's been in the last two major finals. So, like you said, it seems that the table is set. I just worry about she's got some big hitters in her. She's got potentially um, Samsonova. She's got potentially mm. Sabalenka. I mean, she's got players who, right players who can really, really hit big and go after her. So. Uh, the good thing for her is she's able to sort of abbreviate the backswings and she's able to, you know, take the pace off the ball, use the slice, use the drop shot and stuff like that. But those are 
players. And like you said, Sabalenka's been on fire, not only winning Adelaide, but what she did at the WTA finals, that final run. She seems to be sort of over some of those service yeah. issues she has. And if you put her, let's say we get some rainy days and the roof is over the court closed, I mean, you know, when she gets a serve going, it's a dangerous serve. So I, I would keep an eye on her. But I really hope Ons can do it. And I think you made a good call on Belinda Bencic. You know, she's a dangerous player. Uh, maybe she's not quite as quick or as, as as athletic as some of the players in that section, but she really anticipates well, and she can put it together on a hard court, as we saw when she won the Olympic gold. And, you know, she's been in the U.S. Open deep in the U.S. Open semi, so she's she's someone to watch. Got the I, will also, too. I will also add that in Anza's uh, total section of the draw, she has two very dangerous floaters in Garbina Muguruza, uh, Camila Georgie, mm-hmm. Sloane Stevens. So there's these, there's these Shelby Rogers. So there are these players unseated, total floaters, yeah. extremely dangerous uh, that she's going to have to potentially deal with. So yeah. that's the other wrinkle there. there yeah, there's always yeah, that Yeah, and wrinkle. it's a different pressure when you're the second seed where you're a name where people want to take you down because you were the Wimbledon finals, the U.S. Open finalist. So I hope she can definitely – I hope she does it. I just think it's – it's a t- and she traditionally, historically hasn't played – great there the flip side is she didn't play last year because of the back injury so she can really only she can go in sort of more freely knowing look i can only really go up i can only pick up points here because i wasn't here last year so i think that that helps her psychologically but you know she doesn't have a great history i think the quarters is her best result she hasn't done traditionally well there it should play to her strengths i mean it should play to what she does well yeah, I mean, all courts play to her strengths. I mean, that's the thing right, about her. Right, uh, right, One player I want to just briefly touch on your thoughts is Caroline Garcia. Oh, yeah. There you go. We, uh, we, could, we, we she, should not leave uh, her. She came in like a house on fire at the end of the season, and uh, she's right there at number four at the seed. So I'm just curious your thoughts. I am so, I'm so 100% behind watching her follow through on what she did last season, which is remarkable. The way she plays the game, the the amount of aggression she's playing with, the the freedom in her game, it's beautiful to watch. It's been a great success story. She, her stated goal, she said yesterday in press, she wants to start thinking about winning a major now. Not exactly sure when, but that's what she's setting her sights on, and I think she has the game to do it. It's just a matter of, again, you know, winning against those internal demons and believing and, and following through on it. I don't see why she can't do it. I, it's hard to expect her to have this level of success for another season, but but the game is there. So, I mean, that's a player we certainly should be mentioning. Fourth seed faces Catherine Sebov, a Canadian qualifier in the first round. I don't see really – oh, second-round matchup, going to be tricky, going to be all eyes on either Alize Cornet or Leila Fernandez in the second round. So we'll know what kind of form and how she's dealing with the pressure pretty early in week one. But, yeah, I mean, Richard would – I mean, and Eric, I feel like she can win a slam this year. It's just a matter of taking that next step. Absolutely. Um, again, I think it's, again, like you said about the belief and just building on what she did last season. Yeah. I, I think is Richard, maybe Richard disappeared. Maybe he warned us. He no, might... no, no, no. <laughs> I, I just want to say, no, I, I agree with you guys. I'm, I mean, especially if she serves the way she did uh, the second half of the season. For me, the challenge for her is like she's all in on this total aggression. Like I'm going to stand three feet inside the baseline right. to, to 
to take your serve on the right. I mean, some of these ladies are bringing 115 mile an hour heat. You got to be smart enough and just humble enough to back up sometimes and, and read the play, read the opponent. I mean, I think she's just so committed to that like she won't back off and it's she's been really successful playing that style but i'd like to see her be a little more adaptable situationally but certainly she has the talent and we've seen her win slams and doubles i mean she yeah she's definitely right there i agree with you both the one player i would say if you're looking for someone that's sort of outside the box is Madison Keys. I know she can be erratic. I know she can be up and down. She's had good results there. She's a big hitter. You know, you get her, get the serve going. She's, you know, a former U.S. Open finalist. She's very unpredictable. She's volatile. She can hit herself off the court, you know, commit 60 errors. But if she's on, she can hit anybody else off the court, too. Always a threat to go deep and pretty much That's always true. does it, Slams. Just really quick, what do you think about Sabalenka? Because Sabalenka said she's now zen- she is focused. <laughs> she has adapted a whole new mental focus. And of anyone that should have probably won a major by now, it's Sabalenka. Is she going to do it here? I don't know. But I don't know. But uh, she's always the question mark here. And I think you raise a good point also because I think six of the last 12 women's slam champions were made in champions who had never won a slam. So going into this, I would say if it was going to be someone who's never won before, I would definitely look at Sabalenka or, or Hans as the two, you know, who were trying to break through. I mean, a lot you mentioned Garcia, obviously you got to think of her, but those would be the two I would be looking at, and they're in opposite Ega, so they can hope somebody picks Ega off. Mm, I'll say this. I don't know if she's going to do it here. But at still not 25 years of age with the, the level of talent that Sabalenka has. And, and like you alluded to, Eric, the growth that she makes. Yeah, she hits a lot of speed bumps and, and you know, has to, has to fight with herself and has to get over some of her issues. Definitely both mental issues with, you know, with success and, and various elements of her game. But I think she has nothing but time to win a slam. And I think it'll for sure happen in the next couple of years, maybe more than one. And, and if, I, if I may circle back to Carolyn Garcia, I loved your point, Richard. I think that's very important and, and actually inspired me to maybe think more about this and write more about this. Maybe the thing that's going to keep or get Carolyn Garcia over the hump is learning to have a little bit of humility with that plan B and to open up a little bit tactically to being able to change over the course of a match, depending on the matchup, and maybe that's the thing that she has she was missing last year, and that she ran in, why she ran into a wall in the U.S. Open semis, and maybe that's the thing that she'll need to do. It takes a lot of sacrifice to win these majors, right? Maybe that is the thing that she'll need to do, and if she can do that, you know, uh, evolve in such a way that it allows for herself to be a more diverse player, then she gets over the hump. And maybe if she can't do that, she doesn't get over the hump. So I think I just want to circle back and say that was a good point and something to watch out for. Well, stubbornness could be her 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 best friend or her worst enemy. To a point. You know, like to a point. Stubborn, I mean, sticking to the, I mean, no doubt that, that definitely that tactical shift definitely absolutely helped her. The thing that really blows my mind about her is if you've ever watched her in Fed Cup or with team play playing doubles, she can play all course. She's a beautiful volley. She knows how to close. But it's just she wants to play grip and rip so bad. It's almost like she just wants to end the point one way or the other. It's so fun. that. 
makes me a little bit nervous. Like, maybe she just wants to get it over with one. Whereas I think if you look at someone like Rafa, one of the greatest players who ever lived, he's humble enough to say, look, this guy's serving 130. I got to move back. I got to give myself a chance to get the ball in the court and rally. I realize she's not looking to play long rallies, but she can if she had to. She's a good enough athlete. She, I just don't feel she taps into the whole depth of her game. Mm-hmm. She can play from anywhere. She can do a lot of things with the ball, but she's so dialed in on, like, I'm just going to rip the hell out of this ball if you give me any... And it's like, sometimes they're serving big. you got to respect that, you know? Yeah. Or sometimes they have a great slice where they're going to tell you wide. you got to respect that, too. You just have to understand, you know, you can be core committed to that, but you've got to be able to sort of roll with the tide and, and what's happening out there. Yeah. And she's a veteran. She understands that. I'd just like to see her employ it. That's mm-hmm. all. Yep. That's, that's a good point. So parting shots for you guys. Eric, I'll let you go first. Anything that, that has been left up unsaid until now? Uh, all I will say, I think that, uh, again, I'll be, int- I'll be very interested to see the uh, crowd reaction for Novak Djokovic. I think it's going to be very warm and receptive. And, uh, again, I think he's a player to beat on the med side. And um, um, I'll, just, I'll be interested to see, uh, again, how Iga uh, on the women's side uh, kind of handles the pressure of being the uh, the favorite for number one. Yeah, that'll be fun. And Richard? I would say looking ahead to the year overall, I think we're going to see a Russian or a Belarusian after the controversies they went through last year. I think a, Bella, a Russian or a Belarusian will win a Grand Slam title this year, and I think we'll, we'll see an American Grand Slam champion, maybe not at this tournament, obviously, you could, looking at Jovic, but this year I think we'll see someone like Kogo Goff or someone like – I think we'll see an American – you know, because the two – if you look at the men's side especially, I think the big three have won like 17 of the last 19 Australian Opens. Only Stan and only Safin are the only guys oh to God. break that stranglehold. Sooner or later, you know, the European dominance – Maybe it subsides, maybe it doesn't, because you got people like Sitsipas. I think the Russians are going to, will be heard from this the year. Russians I think they'll make coming. a statement. And I think, I think I, as you guys alluded to on Sabalenka, I don't just want to, you know, just repeat that point. But I, yeah, I think she can do it this year. And, I, and I'd like to see, you'd like to see her and on. Those are two I'd love to see breakthrough because they yeah. want it so bad. And, and look, Sabalenka and her losses in the semi, Grand Slam semi, she, she's played well. It's not like she's, she's gagged she's or choked. So I mean, she's competed hard. So she's putting herself in a position you'd like to see her or, or Hans get through to the final. I agree, Iga's the favorite, but I would not be shocked at all if. If she's not the champion, when all is said and done. Sweet, you guys are great. Um, you know, uh, I, I'll have a parting shot as well. One name we didn't mention, and maybe we can get together after week one, break it down, and look forward to the to the second week of the season. I'm sure a lot of things will have been uh, have shocked and surprised us by at that point. Um, I want to say we haven't talked about Maria Sakari at all. I wonder if we'll talk about her mm. next week when we get together. Um, but I'll leave it at that, and I'll say thanks to you guys for joining. Eric, thanks for the insights on the Netflix special. Richard, you're, you're the best always, uh, even though you're a Mets fan. Some people might take issue with that. I personally don't. I like the Mets a lot. I just want to put that out there. And, yeah, let's do it again um, the end, next week. And I, it's just going to be funny if we – 
where we are next week compared to where we are now, we're still like in the, at the very beginning of a season. We have no idea how crazy it's going to be. And I think by next week, we're all just going to be worn out and confused and, and stunned. And it's going to be interesting to talk again and just to note the differences between what's gone on <laughs> between now and then. It's gonna, it always is the same way. And it, that's just the way it works at these slams. I'm looking forward to it. So let's all try to get some sleep while we can. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. Really enjoy it. Thank you. All right, talk to you guys soon. Thank you. Thank you, boys. Thank you. This edition of the Lucky Let Cord podcast is a wrap. Special thanks to Eric Goodris and Richard Pagliaro for joining me and talking Breakpoint and Australian Open Tennis. It's going to be an exciting Aussie Open fortnight, and we're looking forward to being back with you in one week's time to talk about the craziness that we will inevitably be seeing from the Australian Open. Um, you guys can follow Tennis Now always on the web, www.tennisnow.com. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash tennisnow. Also on Twitter at tennis underscore now. And of course, it, we love it if you rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. It means a lot. We're going to try to pump out as many episodes as we possibly can this year. We want to be really active and kind of hit you guys up every week and keep you abreast of all the exciting happenings in the tennis world. So thanks again for listening. Thank you for your support, and we will see you next time. Enjoy the Aussie Open, and we'll talk with you soon.